I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So welcome to another edition of Face to Face. Here we are in Phnom Penh with a, a friend of mine and somebody I have a, a great amount of respect for, uh, Jan Ritzkis. She's a, a Canadian who's been working here since 1994, I believe. 1992. 1992. So thank you for thank you for joining us, Jan. And um, she uh, runs, uh, founded and runs an organization called uh, Tabitha. And uh, we'll talk about the website a little bit later on, but it's tabitha-cambodia.org for those of you who want to check it out. And I'll have some information on the website as well. So thanks, Jen, very much. You're welcome, David. Um, so anyone who's interested in Tabitha can go to the website. They can find out some of the more sort of, uh, I guess, factual things about what you do and and uh, the areas that you're working in. But I, I was reading something just recently on the site, and you talk about attitudinal and psychological barriers to development. Could you talk a little bit more about that in a Cambodian context and what that means? Well, I think uh, <laughs> in, in the, Cambodia has gone through uh, 
an era of, uh, they were involved with the Vietnam War and indiscriminate bombing, killed a million of them, and gave rise to the Pol Pot Khmer Rouge regime. And that, of course, killed another two million and displaced, I would probably say, another two million uh, worldwide. And uh, it was also punished, and still in some ways being punished by the international community. I'm not quite sure why, uh, but for the vast majority of people over 40, well, for all the people over 40, uh, that era has left uh, deep trauma. It was a, a lifetime in many ways, uh, 30, 35 years of it. And um, so you have a, a country that uh, was destroyed and deliberately destroyed. Um, and I think with the support of the international community, I think if Cambodia had disappeared off the face of the earth, nobody yeah. would have cared. Right. Uh, it wouldn't have mattered one iota. Um, and that leaves people pretty much shell-shocked, deeply traumatized. Uh, there's nobody over 40 that I know of who hasn't got a story to tell. Um, a loss of family, uh, loss of just about everything. I met someone this morning at the Anis, a translator, mm -hmm. and we got chatting a little bit about it. Lost 20 members of their family. Yeah. It's just pretty much everyone you see on the street has a connection in some way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so you, you have a, a, an older generation that's horrifically traumatized and uh, deeply scarred and, and post-traumatic stress is very active here. Uh, and then you have a very young generation who, uh, uh, like our generation after World War II, our parents had gone through a lot, were determined that their children are not going to suffer, and as best as they can, will try and give those children uh, whatever they can. Um, uh, poverty, you know, uh, I would say 90% of the population lives in the rural countryside, and, and poverty is probably... Uh, at about 75 percent now. Wow. Very high. Very high and, and it's uh, it's got to do with fear although security has been now for I would say a good 10 years. That helps a lot. Um, but the weather patterns are changed and uh, you know if you don't grow your one rice crop you're in real deep trouble for the rest of the year. You need, you need about three crops a year? You need to grow food year-round. Year-round. And Cambodia can grow food year-round. It is a country that can do that. There is enough water, uh, those kinds of things. But anyway, you end up with an attitude where uh, I am bad is normally mm. the word I hear. Mm. I am bad. You know, this all happened because somehow something I did. I deserve it. I deserve it. Uh, but they can't tell you what they did. That that's, you know, they just know that the gods are angry and that they were punished. But... Not quite sure what that sin was. So it's related to karma in some way? Uh, yeah, I think those are all easy words. Yeah, I think yeah. we have to be very careful with that. I think uh, a lot of people, if you work in any third world country, um, God is very real. But it's often a very angry God, whatever name you call him. And uh, there's often punishment uh, sin and punishment are now, forget about the afterlife, that's going to be even worse. Right. Uh, that kind of thing, you know. So, yeah, it's, um, it's an attitudinal thing. And we work, if you don't change that attitude, if you don't have some kind of mechanism to change the attitude of despair, giving up, doesn't matter. 
then anything you do won't work. So for you, uh, so for you, development really is about a, a very personal and internal uh, seed or change yes. that has to occur before anything like uh, an HIV/AIDS program or water and sanitation or or whatever it might be is going yeah, to actually work. That's correct. Long term. That's right. To, to ultimately be sustainable. Yeah, I mean, you know, people who. Uh, you know, when I was in college many, 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 many years ago, I mean, we, we actually had stories of uh, case studies done in, in a place like Chicago where, again, you know, the government went out and built all these ticky-tacky houses, as they called them, moved all the people in. The houses lasted about six months um, because, again, there was no change in attitude. It was, you know, I know, I think people have a real hard problem with uh, actually understanding poverty or understanding other people. Uh, we're very narrow-minded in a lot of ways. We look at people and we have decided that we know all the answers. Mm. We never have questions. We all have answers. And and, uh, and then it's of people's fault when they don't accept those answers. Have you seen a lot of uh, what you would call or what I would call white Western arrogance in, in the development community here in Canada? I, I think it's arrogance all over the world. All over the world. It, that's yeah. not exclusive to the whites. Yeah. Uh, it's, ex uh, you know, um, I think um, around the world we have this... Uh, this movement for mediocrity, <laughs> uh, status quo, yes. you know, don't rock the boat. Uh, in Western worlds, we tend to have a, a sense of an entitlement with that, so right. that makes us really dangerous. Um, I think in Asia, they're still up and coming for many countries. Some countries have arrived, but there's some countries who haven't. And uh, so the, uh, the status quo, mediocrity, all governments push for it. Right. You know, I, I don't know any government on earth, uh, you know, when we talk about democracy, there's freedom. There isn't. You are so regulated. We are so told who we are, what we are. Um, so there, I think, again, there's, there's, but it's all a methodology to keep us all status quo. Right. Uh, don't rock the boat. Don't rock the boat. Don't question. Don't, don't question. Don't challenge. Uh, there's a few of us at the top. We know what we're doing, and we will tell you. Right. Right. And uh, what scares me is that we all accept it. It is a bit of a frightening thing how we seem to all just sort of acquiesce yes. in so many ways. And yes. then every now and then you hear a great story about somebody who did fight back or who does stand up and yeah. really stands out. Um, Jan, how do you uh, how do you define poverty? You spent many years in the Philippines. You spent oh, many years now in Cambodia. I, I think uh, you have to define it in various ways. Uh, the uh, easiest and the one that most people use is material things. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's very obvious. Um, uh, again, in the Western world, we don't know what poverty is. We, do, we don't understand it because we don't have it. And we think we do, but we don't. Um, uh, poverty is having nothing. You know, uh, eating one time a day, and then various, you know, working and getting water, working at just about everything. It's underemployment, uh, working hard. I think poor people work harder than most people on mm -hmm. earth. 
and get very, very little recompense for I, it. I remember reading somebody, Jen, who said that anyone who doesn't believe that most of the people working in the developing world are not industrious or hard workers has never actually visited a country and seen them working on the I, side. And, of and I also believe there are also people who've never worked hard themselves. <laughs> right. and, and no, truthfully speaking, yeah, uh, yeah. because it's usually hard physical labor. Right, right. And it's usually 12-hour days, yeah. and it's uh, under very trying circumstances. Um, and very little recompense for it. So I think the norm is that we judge everything materially, uh, and, and part of poverty is exactly that. But I think there's a larger part of poverty which is attitudinal. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it becomes almost a norm. It's a cultural thing. Right. Um, and if you don't break that, the material stuff's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so would you define poverty uh, in Cambodia as a lack of opportunity, uh, being, being unable to Oh, access? I think originally when I came, security was probably the major cause of poverty, uh, without question. Uh, you mean security like uh, just not feeling safe? Yeah, physical security. Just physical security. Uh, you know, when I arrived, the Khmer Rouge were still mm. very active. Oh, they okay. were still uh, supported by the... I, I think there's there's a misunderstanding about Cambodia. They think uh, everything ended years ago, and it didn't. Khmer Rouge were active and supported by the United Nations up until 1988. Uh, and when I say the United Nations, all the nations that are involved in that supported the Khmer Rouge. Let, let's astounding. make it very, very clear of what really happened here. And... Uh, uh, some nations continued to support the Khmer Rouge up until Pol Pot died in 1998. It wasn't until that time security came to Cambodia. Wow. At that, uh, you know, and, and that meant basically you have uh, landmine problems, you have problems with displacement because the Khmer Rouge could enter into any place in Cambodia and, and cause havoc. Uh, the military, Cambodian military, could enter into any place. You could have civil war anywhere here in Phnom Penh most nights. Uh, there was gunfire and, and between the Khmer Rouge and the military on a constant basis. So I think there's there's a misunderstanding that everything was just hunkadori because the UN said it was. So right. you you know the UN is often quite wrong in what yes. they do. Yes. And yeah. and this is one of those cases. So uh, security is and was probably the major factor in poverty in Cambodia. Uh, I think now it's um, getting used to having security, actually believing it's real. And believing it's real. Um, right. I think uh, that takes time. You know, if 80% if of your family has been killed and you have no land security uh, in many ways, you know, things are pretty rough. Um, I think the last 10 years people have started to believe in it and started to think again, and, and that's what they tell us, you help us to think uh, again. Uh, Ta Tabitha helps. Yeah, that's think. what they say Tabitha oh. does. You, you make us think you, again. You make us think again. That's excellent. Yeah. Um, as a teacher, that's one of the things I try to tell my students. I say, I'm not here to, to instruct you on what to think, but I hope that I'm going to enable you to think a little differently about different issues. I'm mm -hmm. not going to give you the answers. There are no clear-cut definitions. You want to, you, you want a lack of clarity. Go to the UN yeah. for for a definition on something. Well, I, I'm know? not here to criticize the UN, yeah, but yeah. I'm also not here to say, uh, you know, uh, what happened in Cambodia is our fault. Right. Right. Uh, and when I say our fault, I mean all of us. What about trust? 
I mean, so if, if, if there was no security for so many years, the Khmer Rouge, the government and yeah. so on, is there a deep uh, yes. mistrust in this culture? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's probably the hardest uh, thing that we have to overcome when we start in a community uh, is that trust. Uh, so we, when we say we're there Monday morning, 10 o'clock, we're there Monday morning, 10 o'clock, period. They may not be, but we are. Uh, no, it's very important because they get used to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we say that, uh, you know, we will return your savings on such and such a day at such and such a time. We do exactly that. Um, and so uh, we have to build that trust. We have to build that respect. And, and we've built both. And it really helps us in our work now because it's known within the culture. I would say, within, yeah, word gets on the street. Yeah. Um, so it's it's uh, for us now, doing and starting in a new area is much easier mm. than it was in in older areas uh, in, in years gone by. So basically, for you, then it sounds really simple in a way. Building trust really just uh, meant doing what you said you were going to do. Yeah. Following through. Yeah. Uh, you just mentioned the savings program. Um, so microeconomic development is taking the world by storm over the last 10 or 15 years in the development community. And most of it is built on the notion of loaning, as you know, mm -hmm. loaning people money and charging them a very small amount of interest, Muhammad Yunus and BRAC in Bangladesh and so on. But you guys take a very different approach. Yes. And, and you've been criticized for that, I think. Uh, but you... Wow. I, I, I may have been, right. but it doesn't sink in. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, I, I think, uh, you know, microfinance is a very dangerous thing with the huh. very poorest. Uh, it, uh, and I believe that uh, people in Bangladesh would tell you that too. Interesting. I think uh, there has to be great clarification of what everybody's talking about right. here. I think to people saying low interest rates, I think you better check that one out too. It may be a low interest rate per month, but it sure adds up over a year. And there's many problems with microfinance. The biggest being that uh, if I give a loan, I'm the boss. Yes. I decide what you will do. I yes. will decide how you will do it. Power I will structure. decide what punishment you will receive and et cetera. If you're working with very poor people and especially in, in, uh, in a lifestyle where insecurity and fear is such a great factor, uh, the last thing you would do is give out loans. Um, because you're going to terrify them. Uh, poverty is, and I could care less whether it was Bangladesh or here, mm -hmm. I am sure that a lot of loans aren't repaid because all of a sudden we have a flood or all of a sudden right. it's a drought year or all of a sudden somebody in the family is sick or whatever. Um, with savings, it's your money. It's their money. They decide. And that's probably the biggest um, barrier to doing savings worldwide is because we don't have control. Right, right. And, and we are such control freaks that we cannot handle right. not having control. Which directly connects back to the whole attitudinal and psychological barriers. Yes. Because as, so it's almost a, it's a, pride, a pride thing, would you say, that they, they, Cambodians build a certain Again, sense of don't, don't ownership? Again, don't use words that don't have meaning. Right. Okay? Uh, it's not a pride thing. It's a... Gosh, I'm actually worth a towel. Gosh, I'm actually worth three meals a day. Right. That's a very different right. thing. Right. Uh, so pride means look at me, um, mm. whereas this is look what I've achieved. And so that's a very sense of accomplishment. Sense of accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and uh, I'm making choices. I'm, I'm being able to 
take care of my family, myself, um, and pride doesn't cover it. Well, I guess it too brings back almost a sense of uh, a responsibility and, and again, yes. being able to follow through for yourself now. Yes. I can provide for my family. Yes. I can yes. maybe provide for the community and so on, and for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the making choices. And making choices. Choices that uh, people deny you. Taking a bit of the power back for themselves. Yeah. Well, choice is you choose. Yeah. You can choose to let somebody else decide for you. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And you can choose not to. Yeah. Yeah. And you can choose to do nothing. So, so can you take a, a minute or two just to uh, help for my listeners uh, to explain how it actually plays out? Ten, ten weeks. Ten weeks of people actually taking. Do you recommend how much they save? No, you no, no, no. You it's, just say, it's, it's, again, portion. you know, it, it's such a simple system that yeah. we have real trouble uh, even comprehending it. No, they decide how much they're going to save, okay. and it's very small amounts. Yeah. We keep it safe for 10 weeks, and at the end of 10 weeks, we hand it back to them, and we pay them 10%. We're very aware of the courage it takes to do this, and um, they have three days to buy whatever that thing is. Um, you call it a dream item. It is a dream item. They tell us beforehand what they're saving oh, for, and we expect them to fulfill their own dreams. Uh, obviously, it's something very important to them. may yep. not mean anything to me, right. um, but that's not the issue. The issue isn't about us. The issue yes. is about them and that we are willing to support that. In the end, you'll find that everybody does the same anyway because uh, people are people, basics are very important to everybody, and then you move up the... And we're talking about basics. We're talking about... Uh, uh, we're talking about basics, and then we move up the ladder to things that are not so basic. Right. Um, basics uh, being like uh, dishware, maybe, or... Uh, uh, eating three times a three day, times having a day. two sets of clothes or more, having towels to dry yourself off, having pots and pans, having uh, a few Pretty dishes. Basic. Yes. Yeah, and we have no comprehension of that. So, so you wouldn't say to somebody, "Oh, you know what? Your your son has malaria, uh, so therefore we think you should buy a mosquito net before you buy dishes." That's entirely up for them to decide. That's entirely up yeah. for them to decide. Now, when do you pay? Uh, when do you pay interest? Do you, when we hand the money back at the t at the ten yeah. at the ten day point. Yeah. So it's not you just holding on to the money for no. them, so that you're accumulating no. it. You actually pay ten percent interest. Yes. And then, how long would that family be a part of the program for? Average five years. Five years. Uh, some eight years, some four years, depending on what's going on, what the circumstances are. What? And do they graduate on their own, or do you just? No, 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 no. <laughs> graduation is our problem. I see. And we, it's very difficult for us to graduate people. Uh, it, we're cheerleaders. Right. And that's a that's a, we actually believe in them, and we believe in what they uh, think is important. Um, we're not critical. Right, uh, right. We don't know everything. That's right. But we do expect them to fulfill their own dreams. So how do you decide uh, one family's four years, one family's six, one's eight? Is oh, at the end, uh, our big thing is they they have a decent home. They have some form of electricity, usually car battery. They usually have transportation, mm. bicycle or, or motorbike. Um their kids are in school. Wow. Uh, they have five or six sources of steady income, uh, animals and, and food growing. Um, 
and they can celebrate holidays. So they can wow. Khmer New Year that has its expectations. They can have a wedding. They don't go broke. Somebody can die in their family, and it's not the end of the family. It really is about dignity, Jen. Yeah, so, just, so it's quite a process, yeah. and they go from pretty much nothing to middle class, rural so, middle class. So here. why does Tabitha also do... Um, uh, wells and houses. And well, things. water is is uh, plentiful in Cambodia, and you can grow food year round uh, if you have water. Uh, they have to prove to us how they're going to use uh, the well for income, uh, and they may not sell it. Uh, uh, so they have to either grow food or raise animals. Normally, at the end of the uh, program, they got four or five sources of income from the water. And would that be, so that would be like a community-based thing? So you would No, have, it's not. It's family-based. Oh, family-based. So yeah, one family yeah. would have their own yeah. well. If you go community, you got nothing but problems because, you know, some of the community are lazy, truly. Yeah. Some of the community uh, aren't ready. And this is about you. It's not about everybody so else. So my, my family would have their own well, ultimately. Uh, you and a couple of other families. Oh, yes. I see. Yeah, so you'd come together and you'd save sort of together and purchase the, the well together or whatever the yeah, case they, might they, be. Yeah, they put some money in, we put money in, and they buy the savings, buys the pumps, and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, uh, you and I have chatted before, and, and you don't like the term capacity building. No, I think that's silly. But it, it sounds, in a way, like... Uh, you're actually building capacity. No, they build a, you know, it, yeah, capacity, capacity again is an assumption. I know what I'm doing. Right. Uh, I know all about farming. I know all about animal husbandry. I don't know any of that. They do. They're quite capable. What we do is help them think. We're cheerleaders. So there's an assumption they actually do know what they're doing, which is very difficult, again, for us who've been <laughs> educated so narrowly. Yeah. And, and we come here and we say, oh, I, you should do because the book says so. Right, yeah. But whoever wrote the book never did this, so he hasn't got a clue either. Um, so there, there's, and, and why development has gone so badly is there's way too many experts who've never done anything and know very little. Uh, trying to give advice to people who actually know a lot. I used to have a machine. Just need to open that opportunity. And allow Cambodians or Malawians or Rwandans or matter. whoever it is yeah. to make their own decisions yeah. and, and, and actually build their own sense of self-worth yeah. and so on. Um, I used to have a machine shop teacher in high school that defined an expert as an ex was a has-been and a spurt was a drip under pressure. <laughs> Not maybe the funniest joke in the world, but I've never forgotten it. Yeah. Never forgotten it. Well, I, I, the word expert scares me now. Hmm. I'm frightened of people who are experts because often they're very destructive. And they don't even know it. Would I, you, would I think that's probably the... Probably the case. Yeah, yeah I, I remember reading a book years ago uh, when I was doing some of the work in development, and it was called Do No Harm, uh, mm. Mary Anderson, and it was about development and relief workers working in a military situation. So the whole idea being, if you are going to provide food, make sure you're not screwing everything up. Yep. Make sure you're not doing a whole lot of damage while yep. you go. And I think from my experience, which is limited, that's for sure, I've certainly seen a lot of it yep. uh, already. Mm -hmm. And I haven't exactly been working in the field for a long time. So yeah. it's, it's troubling. Mm. Um, so... The whole the whole issue of of uh, of community development through savings. I mean, you you've said several times now. It's just so simple. Yep. It's just such a simple. Why? How did you get to such a simple conclusion? 
and yet so many other, it seems, uh, nonprofits, organizations, you know, Cambodia, heavily laden NGO uh, country. Uh, why is it taking so many others so long to get there? Or are they even ever going to get there? I, you know, discussions like this bother me because you're asking me to pass judgment on others. And, <laughs> right. And, and, right. And, uh, well, how about then just... I think, I think each person involved in all of this stuff, we all know whether we're doing right or wrong. It's very clear. And, and we can use the organizations as excuses. We can use the people as excuses. We can use governments as excuses for our failures. But, but uh, as a development worker, I know when I do the work whether I have done what I said I was going to do or I don't. And um, I'm also a Christian, so biblical principles are something that are held up to me. I hold up to myself every day. Um, and, and it's very clear that all people are accountable for their lives. Mm -hmm. All people are responsible. All people have to make choices. <clears throat> and um, taking away any of those things means I will be a failure. So savings is one of the things in life where, hey, you have to make the choice. So what was it that got you to that place to say, this is what I want to do in Cambodia? This is oh, because as soon as we gave out loans the first time in, in the Philippines, we had nothing but people running away from us uh, oh. every chance they could. They couldn't pay, you know. Uh, microfinance has, has got, you know, if we went to a bank in Canada and I took out a loan and they said, now you start repaying next week. Uh, right, on your right. business, I'd be bankrupt. That's right. Okay, yeah. but that's what microfinance does. We give the illusion of being um, uh, <laughs> just. Right. Uh, but our interest rates are horrendous because it's per month. It's not per year. So you add them all up every month. At the end of the year, you're paying a whole lot more interest. We did that in Canada. I'd be under arrest. I'd be in jail forever. <laughs> but none of us are. Um, that kind of thing. Um, so I very, very clear, very, very quickly. Ah, it helps out of ten, maybe two people. Hmm. But you've destroyed eight others destroyed, because yeah. now not only are they poor, they got an additional burden of having to pay right, back yet right, another right. loan. So I haven't helped them. I just made them poor. Made the poor poor. Yeah. Um, I, I've heard you've mentioned that there's a university in, in, in Australia that is going to be looking at some of the ways that you're doing. Uh, yeah, you're no, doing they, they've here. already taught they've it for already a few years. Yeah. For a few years. So part of the curriculum. So is your hope that that will be picked up by other schools? And uh, It was never my plan. Never your plan? No. People like yourself come in and say, I'm going to do this. I say, fine. <laughs> run, run with it. Sure. So we're back to care. responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, take it and run with it if, yeah. you, if you like the idea. Yeah. It's never been my intention to, to uh, I don't do this work to please you or to please, yeah. Yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. um, it's just kind of scary that this is all new to all of you. <laughs> right. Where, where I, is, I, find, I find that quite frightening. Where ha yeah, right. <laughs> That uh, something I where have we all been these last twenty some years or thirty? Well, years? I, I I I do believe that uh, our cultures have changed um, to you know we use the word human rights. Yes, uh, I have the right to this, 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 and this. Yeah, you actually don't. No guarantees in life. Period. Right. And I think we've forgotten that part. 
I've, and with that comes a sense of entitlement. Yes. So if I want that Porsche, I had that Porsche. Um, nothing to do with savings, nothing to do with accountability, nothing to do with the responsibility. It's like we coming into a generation of children walking around in adult bodies. And discovering, hopefully, discovering new things as we go. But like you say, I don't know. I think I, I think it, I hate to say it almost, but I think a catastrophe has to happen before mm -hmm. we, you know, we actually realize that we're not entitled. Which is maybe uh, what you know? we've seen in the last and, and, few and, years. And you know, it's it, it's one of those things, especially in the business community. Um, you know, the underlying concept has always been keep it simple. Stupid. Right. Ninety percent of the people on earth are stupid. Uh, and and I you know it's one of the reasons I'm out of business. I hate that because uh, I do believe many of the credit things that have been going on. For example, uh, here you can have furniture now. Don't have to pay anything. Don't have to do anything for a whole year. Uh, you're entitled to it. I think the financial crisis, the first one, is a real warning. Mm. I don't think it's sunk in. So I do believe that there, you know, within the next 10 years, that there will be a massive, massive uh, economic breakdown I a, worldwide. I have a friend who's a, a hedge fund manager in Toronto, and he's, uh, I don't know if he's prophetic, but he certainly knows his stuff. And he says this, this crash we had was nothing compared yeah. to what's coming. And, and I believe uh, uh, that that's going to happen. When that happens, it'll be very healthy for us, very painful. But it will bring us back down to uh, life is not a right. We're not entitled. Let's get back to, you know, if you need it, make sure you save a bit. Don't go into debt. Right. You know, you can lose it all. And I think there's people already who are starting to feel it. But right, right, right. I do believe that that sense of entitlement has gone overboard. So what about, uh, you know, you would probably say what you're doing is just common sense. Yes. But it sounds like you're saying very few people have common sense. And it's something I've thought about a great deal having studied philosophy, you know, because you'll hear a moral thinker say, oh, well, it's just common sense. Uh, but is that, do you think that's a fundamental principle that, you know, for instance, in Cambodia, Cambodia lost as a result of the history in the Khmer Rouge and, 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 and we're kind of back to this idea of self-worth again? It really is fundamentally about choices and... and yes. Yeah. And I think that's why the program works so beautifully here yeah. because they actually are very aware of that. Right. You know, and uh, it's up to you. You want to change things. One of the things I think I've noticed, Jan, and I think I hear it in what you're saying, is that uh, um, development workers don't often notice uh, the capacity that's already deeply entrenched no, in the culture. No, because you see, you're hired as an expert. That's right. And you sign a contract, you have no clue what you're signing, but you say you know what you're doing. Right. Uh, so, uh, and then they come to a place like Cambodia, and I do honestly believe they're completely overwhelmed uh, and they blame the organization, so mm. there's a lot of bad talk about NGOs within their own circles. Of course, yeah. And um, But as I say to them, nobody twisted your arm to sign this contract. You signed it because you said you knew what you're doing. My yeah. most common question to all of them is, what are you going to leave behind in three years? Because that's normally the average lifespan of any development worker. So what are you going to leave behind? And that's where the anger is, because hmm. they can't answer me. They have no idea. So if you don't know why you're here, what you're going to do, how are you going to leave anything behind? Right. 
And of course, it's the people's fault, it's the government's fault, it's our boss's fault, it's everybody's fault. But but, but theirs. Yeah. Um, so speaking of, uh, just as we kind of wrap up here, speaking of things that uh, leaving behind, you just recently received a pretty substantial award from the Prime Minister of Cambodia uh, for the work that you've been doing. Um, what, I mean, you're a Cambodian citizen, you're up for the Order of Canada, major award from the Prime Minister of Cambodia. What, what the heck is next? Hospital. Ah, oh, excellent. Tell us yeah. just a Milford, tiny bit about that. Milford Tep Women's Hospital. Yeah, we'd like to, uh, we're in the process of uh, building a women's hospital because in third world countries, of course, women are yep. the least of the least. And, um, but they're also the ones that hold the society together. I think there, there's a real problem understanding really what goes on in the world, but it is women who raise mm -hmm. the children, who keep the family unit together, bear the burden of just about everything that goes on, um, and severely punished for it, right. uh, of course. Um, but one of the issues in, uh, in all third world countries is that women's gynecological issues are not addressed, not even talked about. Because of that, many of them suffer when they start mm. suffering when they're very, very young. And by the time they're in their 30s, um, they're just about had it. They're finished. Physically, they can't do it anymore. The pain is constant. And uh, so we're going to build this hospital to uh, change, turn that around. And I believe we're going to turn the economics of Cambodia around with it. Wow. Uh, but it is a very sensitive area in all third world countries. like to do it in a way that it's a teaching hospital, but also one that we can easily transfer to another third world country uh, wow. and give the women a break. So, yeah. So it's scalable in a sense. You can, yeah. take, you can take it somewhere else. Um, amazing. Um, one last thing, because I think, uh, you know, like you said to me uh, earlier, lots on the website uh, to yeah. find out about Tabitha, but can yeah. you just talk just a tiny bit about how you get the money for, to pay that interest, that 10% interest? How, how do I, as a donor, come alongside you, come alongside Tabitha? Well, I think uh, we got uh, foundations like in Canada, U.S., whatever. People can, uh, it only costs us $25 to help per family per year for, with these kinds <laughs> of things. So crazy and that includes you everything, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's a very low-cost program uh, to outsiders. A lot of individuals donate towards that. House-building volunteers, they have to pay us a fee for the privilege of doing that. And those are uh, all used. That, that, that money is used, used as well. Yeah. And then all the products that you sell. Products that we sell, those the, the uh, from that pays for like the building and yeah. stuff. You know? and, and, and for those of you who are listening, you've got to check out the products that Tabitha's making. Uh, Jen was telling me this morning several hundred uh, women, young women are working for her, designing products, making beautiful Cambodian silk. Yeah, Cambodian um, silk. And uh, I can speak uh, quite intelligently about this. I've been involved in many, many sales over the last few years, as my wife has too. So, um, Jan, uh, your website says over 500,000 people you've, Currently. you've helped. Yeah. Currently. <laughs> the we, our, I love the website, that. You know, the, the, the website that growing. we have up is only for this current program year. For this current program year? Yes. This is what we're doing this year. And if you read the web, that's what it says. This is our program year. Yeah. Wow. It's incredible. Well, um, unbelievable legacy. Uh, I hope you do get the Order of Canada. Thank you so much for uh, sharing some of your thoughts. And uh, hope to see you again soon. Okay. Thank Thanks, Thanks David. Bye-bye.